Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. And I'm Carl. So before we start, I just want to address a poll I keep forgetting to get to. Uh, the last poll we put up was, what movie is Morbius better than? I can't remember all the decisions I put, but everybody picked It's Better Than Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> Not better than Morbius. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen either one. So as far as I know, Schrodinger... They could be, either one could be better or worse than the other one. You're probably going to be happier not seeing either one, I'm going <laughs> <Yeah. be honest. laughs> I'm going to keep that box closed. Okay, so the first piece of news I want to get to is Neil Adams died at yeah. age 80. Neil Adams was a legend. I've talked about him on podcasts a few times, but I kind of want to run down the broad strokes of his career really quick because this dude is probably like a top 10 most important artist or writer for comics in general definitely in the top five for dc i think yeah so he did some work on the x-men and avengers with marvel but his legacy largely looms at dc comics he went to get into batman and his way of getting in there was he was like batman was starting to flag because the old tv show had folded and they had switched all the art to reflect the adam west and bird ward TV show. And so people were just kind of done with it at that point in the 70s. And so he came in and pitched them. And he's like, man, you guys don't even know the kind of stuff I would do with this. By the way, Neil Adams a little bit crazy. He's really fun to hear him talk because he's a little bit nuts. He tells them I would create a character called Man Bat. And he, that's all he tells them. And they're just like, <laughs> all right, we're intrigued. So he creates Man Bat, which is like the inverse of Batman, right? This is, we always joked about the origin of Batman being bitten by a radioactive bat, right? It's not far off from Man Bat's like, thing. He basically took a serum and became like a walking bat. Yeah. So that character is kind of goofy, but still fun. It's like the first thing he created for Batman. He also slowly took the style of Batman and started to make it more into the modern style. So he started to use the yellow emblem, which did not exist before then. He was the one that took the light gray and light blue and he turned it to like dark blue and black, right? Like he started to make Batman look like you would picture Batman nowadays. And then he invented Raja Ghoul. And then Talia Ghoul as well. Batman Begins doesn't happen without Neil Adams, right? Like, you do not get that character. Yeah. And then he did this Green Arrow, Green Lantern run of comics that was really, really famous, which was the Hard Traveling Heroes. So this was basically a line of comics where... Green Arrow runs into Green Lantern, who's on Earth for a short stop. And he's like, hey, man, you're up there. You're protecting the blue man. But down here, the brown man and the black man need protecting. And you're not paying attention to your own planet. And so they, like, get in a pickup truck. And they travel across the U.S. And they're looking at stuff. They, like, fight the Klan. They, like, see how there's drug problems in the inner city. They tackle stuff with racism. Like, they actually, like, hit social issues of the day and a bunch of those had to go without the comics code because you weren't allowed to talk about drugs so it's like that one and the spider-man story where harry osborne ods are always the two stories people credit for like bringing social issues into comics they did the run and then it was really successful so he went back to the run again and then he introduced john stewart as a green lantern so he introduced the black green lantern so if we ever get to see john stewart on screen that'll be neil adams and i, I gotta imagine and they'll do that eventually, right? Like they're talking about the kind of lethal weapon version of Green Lantern right now with Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart. So kind of hope that happens as long as Hal Jordan isn't too Mel Gibson-esque. You know, yeah, don't need that part of it. He gathered all the artists and writers at DC Comics and really challenged DC Comics. And they started getting credit 
for the stuff that they did. Started getting royalties. They got to keep their pages when they went home. Instead of having them be destroyed or sold off by the comic company, they got to actually keep the pages that they could resell them. And Schuster and uh, Siegel, who created Superman, they fought to get their names back onto Superman. So he was accidentally responsible for Man of Steel being directed by Zack Snyder because that was being developed by Christopher Nolan and they had to get it out the year that they got it out because if they didn't they would have to pay this exorbitant sum to the families of Superman's creators and so they had reached this judgment where like if you get a Superman movie out by that time you pay X amount of royalties for all the Superman stuff going forward but you have to get it out by this time otherwise they get this like giant chunk of the estate DC kept pushing Nolan to direct it and he didn't want to direct it and so they wound up in a corner so they hired Zack Snyder at the last minute and just had to roll with him after that (laughs) so So he's accidentally responsible for that as well. (laughs) So, you know, it's a checkered legacy at best. Uh, Moving on. So somebody else died. Uh, Rick Parnell, who played the drummer in Spinal Tap. This is not a joke. He actually died. This was not an on-screen thing. Although, wouldn't it be amazing if they filmed that at a concert (laughs) for Spinal Tap? He was the drummer that spontaneously combusted in the movie. Yes. And then he returned for a reunion show and several shows and as talk show appearances. Brother. Yes. As his twin brother, Rick. So he used his own name. And it looks like he wound up settling down in Missoula. Did he? I didn't he was run a across that local part. local Montana celebrity. Lived I- in Missoula. And uh, yeah, I just was reading about him. Turns out that's where he spent most of the later years of his life. It's too bad he passed, man. Like the law of averages said that he would live, right? (laughs) (laughs) His other twin brother will show up. (laughs) Yeah, the third twin. Um, so he was the son of Jack Parnell, who was a famous jazz leader back in the 60s. And then he played with the band called Atomic Rooster, who I really don't know. But I think his big claim to fame is he plays the drums on the song Mickey by Tony Basil. Like, oh, Ricky, you're so fun. You're so fun. You blow my mind. Hey, Ricky. Hey, Ricky. Yeah, that one. And it was quick enough where I don't have to pay royalties. If that's a thing. I don't know. It's probably not a thing. Well, he's not, not going to be collecting now. Yeah, nobody's listening to this shit. Robots are listening. <laughs> the robots find it. The robots, the DC robots that shut down their own trailers. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. They got attracted by the Neil Adams it's talk. All algorithms, man. Uh, and then the last piece of news I had was just Sam Raimi actually said in an interview that he was thinking about John Malkovich as the vulture. That's who he wanted to cast if he had done Spider-Man 4. So what was really funny was I brought this up to Carl right before we went to record and you came up with the name off the top of your head without yeah. knowing, which is like because it's perfect casting. It really just works. It still would work, honestly. It'd work better now, actually. He's older even than he was back then. Yeah. He's, the older, the better, because Adrian right. Toomes yeah. is an old-ass dude. Uh, Does John Malkovich have dentures, and would he be willing to pull them out for the role? <laughs> That's what we really need to know. Yeah. He's that method w- enough. He would, he would do that. Bash all he his, would own get teeth his own out. teeth Is he method? No. Yeah. He's- <laughs> I'm getting different answers They're, here. Nobody's method except for like people that are famous for being method. Like Daniel Day-Lewis. And Jared Leto. Those are like the only two. Uh, nobody <laughs> the else. The only dude, two. Seriously, method acting is like not actually all that respected of a method. No. Of acting. Because at least not when it's, there's all these, it, it's more nuanced than that. Like method acting is kind of like. A sledgehammer. There's like more specific that are top that are named after people. I don't know the names of them. Like, uh, uh, Tom Hardy is method. Is he? From my understanding, he's not the type of method actor that makes it difficult for other people. He just does routines as the character over and over again to like get it down and doesn't break character. But he's not an asshole to other people. Like, he's respectful of the other actors, is what I've heard. Well, and apparently, the original method acting method was actually kind of damaging to your psyche because it involved like recalling deep painful stuff that is supposed to stay yeah down you're there. supposed to keep it buried yes so until that you, you don't shoot up drive a post office crazy yeah <laughs> and so yeah you know well matt gorley used to have this podcast called i was there too there's this really interesting show they would bring in somebody who was like an extra or just a very small part 
And so they had this one for The Revenant. And they had a guy who is an actor at the town that shows up in one part of the movie. And Tom Hardy would pass by him every day. And he'd go like, fuck you. And he'd go like, fuck you back. And they just like exchange the thing and like drink coffee or whatever. And then this one morning he was feeling kind of tired and he goes, fuck you. And he's just like, hey, Tom. And then like he stopped and went by him. And he goes, excuse me, I'm very sorry, but I really need this. And he goes, fuck you. <laughs> he just walks <laughs> back. And like from then on, they would just have that exchange every morning. But like he's almost OCD, I guess. But he he does try to be respectful of everybody else. You so. know, I everything I've read about Tom Hardy is the people around him enjoy like working with him. So, yeah. It's one thing to uh, get into your character. It's another to mail a used condom. I mean, like, no, it's one thing to, like, (laughs) not drop an accent when they say cut because you don't want to lose the accent in between takes. Yeah. You know, because you're trying to make the dialogue sound natural in that accent. And so you, like, switch. You don't switch in and out of it. Yeah, yeah. There's probably an element of feeling self-conscious, too. Like if you, every time you go into say an Irish accent, you feel like an asshole, but if you just hold that Irish accent, you get used to it. And so maybe it doesn't feel as bad switching back and forth. I mean, that might be a factor too, right? Oh, I would think so. The guy I was trying to think of is Konstantin Stanislavski. Right. And he's the one that kind of started this the method. idea, the method. And then that was expanded upon by three people that each sort of emphasize different aspects of it. Lee Strasberg, who I used Godfather to- Godfather too. I used to park my car outside his studio. His, really? His actor studio up in like wherever the hell in LA where it's at. And I've delivered stuff nearby. I've like picked food up and delivered it to the uh, the front desk, you know? And goes off to whoever. When I was briefly like slumming around in LA and like living in my car, dude, Hyman uh, Roth is one of my all-time favorite characters. And then I love uh, that guy. He was kind of the psychoanalyst of the three because he emphasizes the psychological aspects. And then Stella Adler emphasized the sociological aspects, and Sanford Meisner the behavioral aspects. And they all worked together and like turned this into just like this approach. Yeah, they had to adjust it because the original approach was for stage acting. Yeah. And at some point they realized this isn't going to work for film acting because you're just doing a scene and then you're stopping or you have to do the scene over and over again. So you can't live in the scene as you would a play. So they had to adjust all of the original methods that were originally put down. I actually just listened to like 45 minutes on that, which ended in talking about Nicolas Cage because (laughs) they were talking about the movie Pig, which is about the method. But they said the irony is Nicolas Cage is not a method actor at all. Nothing he does is method. And so but they, I think he knows meth. I'm pretty sure he like look at the. But he company. adamantly does not practice the method. Like he has his yeah, yeah. own. Thing I could that see he that. Does. I could yeah. see that. There's some interesting names on this Wikipedia list of method actors because it's pretty much just all over the place. Will Arnett, Alec Baldwin, Christian Bale, and some of these make a lot of sense. Like if yeah. there are people on this <laughs> list who that like, are like melted down on so crew, <laughs> not necessarily like. Uh, well, I was thinking specifically like not necessarily people like Jim Carrey because we know the stories of guys like him. You know, right. there's an entire fucking documentary about him being Andy Kaufman. It's pretty good you too. Know? Yeah. But more like uh like Christian Bale. Yeah. Like I wouldn't think of him as method based on the actual acting, but I feel like a lot of method people that use the method wind up really tight and they have a tendency to explode on people. And so like if somebody I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> to see Russell Crowe on this list. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I think some Russell of them just Crow have is, anger issues yeah, I was in, in say, general. I think That's so true. I think I think like the method actors who blow up on people have other demons and yeah. they let they use the method as an excuse like christian bale i think got famous for empire of the sun when he was like 11 yeah so i just don't think he ever had a chance to have a normal life so like he was list. treated like a fucking star his whole life but russell crowe was probably always hung over on the set when he showed up because so many stories about russell crowe partying hard all the time and you look at him now and you're like yeah now, <laughs> a major red flag with this list is that like jackie chan's on it and no disrespect to jackie chan but that dude is not a method actor. <laughs> he kind of plays the same guy over this and over again. This is what I think. This is what I think. Yeah, I think that 
uh, I think that Jackie Chan has taken acting classes. Yeah. But I don't think he's like a practicer of the method. But I think he's probably taking classes that use the method as a guide because I'm sure that they've worked out lesson plans and stuff. He's probably practiced things that are in there that are just good practicing for actors to help them do their job. And so I don't think this list is necessarily a list of people who practice the philosophy of the method. Because it is it is a philosophy. Yeah. You know? The way that I've it's heard full... it, it seems like most actors who make it big try a couple of different methods with few exceptions, and then they pull things that help them. So yeah. they don't necessarily like go to one teaching. Some do. Most don't. They like grab whatever helps them because every actor is different and they need different things, right? Right. I mean, it depends. Are you going to be a famous actor for your famous for your versatility? Or are you going to be famous for like being super, super good one kind of thing? And there's different kinds of actors too, right? Like if you look yeah. at a guy like Tom Cruise, for example, he is a movie star. Like he's the charismatic guy who's at the center of a picture and he's there because of his persona as much as anything else. And that's a lot of A-listers, right? Yeah. But if you talk about like a character actor, they're trying to do a different thing every single time. And so they're often not at the center of the frame and very, very rarely do you get somebody who does both like Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon was an A-lister and then at some point just was burnt out on it and said, I want to go character for my roles and finally convinced his agents to start booking him roles as a character actor, which is why we get that six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Well, you know, he also was the mayor of, I believe it was called Kevin Town. <laughs> he had a model of his of his uh, house in Kevin town that had a water slide that went to the mayor's office. This was <laughs> just on an episode of the comedy bang, bang TV show. When he was a guest, he had the model though. I mean, they wouldn't have just, the show wouldn't have made that as a prop, right? He had to have brought that from home. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been watching uh, Viking Valhalla. By the way, I want to say Netflix is not, paying us to say this they clearly don't have the money to do that continue it's another viking show <laughs> it really is vikings all <laughs> over the world well actually in one part this of the world. one doesn't show so much dong what a uh popular genre at the moment we've got the northman it's like one of the bigger movies have you looked at the grosses on that i thought it hit number one it is like it doesn't matter there's nothing that's like burning up the charts no right but now. it's like still it's, doing I thought it was doing good. No. Everything was, I've read about it is that it's... It was like a $90 million movie, I want to say. Like, it's, uh, it's bombing I saw it, terrible. I just saw it go from number four box office to number I know, one box but office. But we're in a different reality for the box office now. Like, being number one doesn't mean you're making money anymore. Yeah. Like, when Doctor Strange comes out, that will probably make a buttload of money. But Northman's probably... I don't think bomb. that anybody expects Northmen to like, well, if they expect it to be like a fucking they, Marvel movie, they're idiots. No, but they always but I, expect it to at least make double its well, budget. I think, and it's not going to do that. I think that, that they no, expect it to trickle up instead of be a landslide kind of thing. I hate to say this because I really want to go see That's it. That's what Robert Eggers wants. And I was hoping to go see it before this podcast, but I just did not get a chance. If they were handing that guy a giant budget, expecting him to make that budget back, that was a mistake, dude. Like his <laughs> movies are The Witch and The Lighthouse. Those are the definition of like fucking film Twitter movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like such a select Honestly, amount of people though, who will even watch those. From what I have. I've heard it's badass. Like a dude climbs up a wall with an axe. Well, but, but that's not even, that's not what it's about. No, I know. It's not a, it's not an action movie. There's action in it. It's not an action movie. It's essentially There's gore this, in it. It's, it's not a gore movie. It's based off the original tale that Hamlet was based off of. So right. if you know the tale of Hamlet, it's you, essentially that tale. It starts out that way. That's the 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 starting point is like the premise, but it's very different. It's right. a very different because it's story. Robert Eggers and he's a madman. <laughs> and honestly, I feel like I don't think he that when A twenty four decided to give him this budget, I don't think the goal was sell a shitload of tickets i think the goal was like let's get a movie that's going to like elevate us as like a studio but i do you know what feel, i mean i do feel prestige, like the return of I, the prestige i do feel like they were, were counting on making their money back 
at the very least. Possibly. Yeah. And I, I mean, they know how to take, I mean, they, I could see like for every if $1 there's million a studio dollar, that would do it, it's a 20 because they but. can take a $1 million budget and turn it into a $150 million profit. Every now and so again, yeah. why not every now and then allow the inverse to happen? I mean, they're not stupid. And a lot of them are in it for making quality Dude, films. I wish there was more, more than studios, just making purely profit. I yeah. wish there was more studios like that. I would honestly. say A24 is one of the least profit-driven studios. Still is, but less so than many of its competitors. Yeah. At least that's my feeling on it. No, I mean, we were talking about them last week. I mean, they yeah. make three or four movies no, a year. They make 20 best. movies a year. Is that where they're no. at now? They have been for the last like. Are they years. making them or are they distributing them? Because it's different. They are. Because they have a distribution. Ah, arm you're as well. shifting the goalposts. I'm not shifting the goalposts. There's stuff Brandon that they produce. Found this number. No, no. There's stuff that they produce <laughs> and they put up, which is what I was talking about. And then there's stuff that like somebody makes the movie and they look at it and they said, "Okay, we'll distribute this for a chunk of the profit because we believe in this movie." See, I don't know. See, the list I had was just a24 produce not necessarily like a fully production but they could have been just bought movies like independently made right. movies that were bought and then like, like i said distributed. that was trauma teams trauma team's chart. a good example of this but like a trashier example right like trauma team made their own movies like toxic avenger movies that's all like 100 percent trauma team but then they would grab stuff like caveman or whatever and it would just be this little independent movie that they're like oh yeah we'll we'll throw behind that we'll help it find some theaters and an audience and then they get a chunk of the profit for like well we'd have to yeah. take a l- closer look at this list but uh how's netflix treating the the fastest growing what's the netflix viking mo- show like is that the fastest growing genre i, I don't think know. it would be like them. video games right now <laughs> well honestly god They're- of war ragnarok's about to drop yeah. Uh, they just put out a big ass Ragnarok themed uh, Assassin's Creed game. We got Thor Love and Thunder coming out. Yeah. I'd say Vikings are hot right now. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying they're not hot. I mean, white supremacists are more popular <laughs> than ever. And they oh, have. Oh, I think they have an I think Odinism. white supremacists peaked in 2017. <laughs> it's not going away, but they peaked in 2017 for our lifetime, I Dude, feel like. There was a review of The Northmen. Where the guy, the guy complaining about this thing was like, I think they made the main character look a little bit too much like the QAnon shaman, as though there was an agenda there to normalize QAnon, which is like the dumbest thing I've ever read. I will but- say, if you've ever watched an Eggers movie, this guy always purports that he's trying to be as historically accurate with everything he does. Like he makes furniture in the movie where they make it by the methods that they made the furniture. Like, right. To that fucking insane detail. And I've seen the first two movies and I'm telling you, there's no agenda in that way. Like this dude's like very, very dialed into what he's doing. It's just that these people these will find people. meaning that's not there. Well, and they'll also, they're looking for shallow stuff. When like the, the, the meanings of Eggers movies are a little, you got to dig a little bit deeper than like this dude looks like this other dude. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, okay. Like the lighthouse, for example, have you seen the lighthouse? Not yet. I have. You, I know. You I know. would it's fucking so, love. I know. You in particular stu- would love the lighthouse. It's stupid that I haven't seen it yeah, yet. Yeah. But, um. It's a first date movie. I'm just waiting for. <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> It is a movie where two guys it's a litmus test. can't stand each other, are farting very audibly throughout the movie, and like go up to a light and masturbate. They both do this at a certain point. Uh, you don't but... think that a movie like that on a first date will make or break the relationship right there? <laughs> it's gonna it will do one of those two there things. There you go. Sure. There you go. Why 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 if why she's, uh, gay, she's a keeper? Why pick at the band aid? Just rip it off. <laughs> First, first date. Let's go hard. I admire that you're not like hiding who you are. For exactly. Sure. That's the whole point. It's all about it's all about openness and yeah and 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 uh, Willem Dafoe <laughs> masturbating while staring I into mean, light. <laughs> it's not necessarily my first choice, but it's 
a it's a good movie for that particular list. <laughs> a first. Anyway, I mean, you could go. What, what I was trying to get to with that is like that is simply two men cannot stand each other and want to get rid of each other and are driving each other crazy. Like that's generally what it is. Then there's this like underlying theme of like the sea and like these nods to like Shakespeare and stuff like that, like within it. But like people are going to come up with all kinds of crazy themes because it's such a wacky movie that like it, if you see a painting that's like abstract, you're going to pull things from there that were not the intention, right? Like, that's yeah. just what's going to yeah. happen. So I don't doubt that people are seeing QAnon Shaman in this, but, yeah. like, I guarantee you I mean, that's again, not that's intention. a very shallow interpretation. Right. You know, you're not looking any past, like, they both got horns on their helmets, <laughs> and they've got, you know, like, whatever draped across their shoulders. It's not like the guy's running around with an American flag on him, you know? Nobody says, let's go Brandon in the Northmen. No, God, I actually, I not. haven't seen it. I can't say that for sure. All right, Vikings. <laughs> All right, Vikings Valhalla. <laughs> Let's go, Brandon. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all of a sudden I've just been filled with empathy for you. <laughs> My God, that's got to be so goddamn annoying to live with that. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, Brandon. That's the first time I made that joke. I never even made that connection. I just I think, did. You know, yeah, fuck. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Netflix. So Vikings. I believe it's a historical fiction. I don't think a lot of this really happened, but there's... Like, the name Leif Erikson is, like, the main character. Okay. There's kind of a lot of stuff, and they're just kind of building a story around these right. people. What's the overall story? So, the overall story is the Vikings were pretty spread out between Norway, Sweden, uh, most of the, the English Isles, Greenland, Iceland. They occupied a pretty good chunk of England. And the king of England's, like, fuck it, I'm done with this. We're taking all of our land back. And they basically did like an Order 66 and like all of the Vikings are killed on spot. And so the king of the Vikings is like taking revenge on this. Basically takes over England. It's a raid and pillage story of England. Not really. There was a 2013 series. It was revenge. Like it's kind of doing the thing where our Viking history is shown through the English lens. So it was like murder, rape, Right, pillage. they're all savages or yeah. whatever, colonial kind of terms. Yeah. This one is actually showing it from the Vikings, and it's like revenge. Like, we were, you know, the the king's main guard was a, a Viking, and, you know, like, they were prominent normal people in the community, and it's like, no, we're just taking all our land back, and, like, on this, this St. Bernard's Day... They, like, just massacred everybody. And so they went to go get revenge. It's not a real deep story, but there's a lot of interesting people. Like, the uh, King of the Vikings is pretty interesting. The main king that calls for the slaughter of everybody, he, like, dies, like, within a year after the, the slaughter. And then, like, he his 10-, 12-year-old boy, like, takes over as king and is, like, has to deal with the repercussions of what his dad did. Like, has to lead an army against the Vikings or just taking over everything. I am looking at the cast list for this. I have never heard of a single no, person on No, there is this. nobody on that entire cast. But there cast. are some people who just look like Vikings, and I don't know if it was for this role or if they just were into metal or something. Cause... But yeah, they, there is nobody like that I have recognized on this show. This guy, Jarl Jorm. <laughs> D that dude was born to be a Viking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I'm pretty sure like half of the character like a, names are Jarl. Who does he play? Uh, Jarl Yorm or something like that. Yeah, look at that guy, Carl. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it right here. Interesting that it's uh, the original series Vikings that came out in 2013. This is a follow-up series to that. It takes place almost... Oh, this is a spinoff? I guess. It's... Now I'm going to have to watch that. It show. takes place... About a little over 200 years later. So everybody from the first show would be dead. And that one seems to be a prime show. Whereas, although that was probably was on something prime else or stars? It was probably on something else originally. I feel like stars like, had Vikings, right? Looks stars like Vikings, Vikings is available currently on Hulu, Peacock, and Prime Video. Weird. 
So I don't know what it was, what series it started Maybe it was like A&E, something like that. (laughs) I bet it was A&E for the History Channel. We were going to talk about Squirrel Girl last week, and we forgot. Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, has been a podcast that they've put out for three episodes now. There's, what, five left? Or is it three left? Uh, I think five. I don't know. Can't remember if they're doing six or eight, but we've gotten a good three episode run here. So what's your thoughts on this so far, Carl? I know it's your boy, Ryan North, wrote these. He's so good. Uh, It's also nice that Milena Vaintraub finally gets an opportunity to voice the character. Although maybe she did some animated TV show stuff. She's probably the voice of Squirrel Girl in an animated thing somewhere. It's pretty good. I mean, I like the comic book. It's fun. It's a it's a nice, um, wholesome kind of take on the Marvel universe where uh, punching is rarely the solution. Empathy mm. is a big part of it. Squirrel Girl understanding is My a kid really is good really one for into, kids. Yeah, is really into Squirrel Girl. It's really good for kids because it's like it's scratches that superhero itch, but it's also like we don't have to fight for. It's everything. not all punching. Yeah, it's, it's mostly like figuring out a way to It's smarter, it's friendlier. It's it's like more creative because often the nonviolent solution is more creative than the violent solution. Right, like the most recent episode, they had uh this guy who said his name was Melvin <laughs> and he's calling in because he's he's a said he's a superhero who's looking for well, first his, his nemesis who stole some pin particles, and so he's going to become really huge. And so, how do you defeat that person? So she gives him some tips, and then he's like, "Ha ha! I'm actually the shocker, and I'm going to take these pin particles and become like what was a huge shocker." And then the guy's like, "Well, what were you before? Like regular size shocker?" And he's like, "No, I was just the shocker." And he's like, "I never heard of regular size shocker." He's like, "No, it's just the shocker." And then Squirrel Girl basically tells him like, "Well, when you get really big, you could like use." those things that use the shock to like generate electricity and then you could make more money doing that without committing a crime than you could actually like ripping the roof off of a bank and it's just like this really simple solution which also helps disband the sinister six before it can start again (laughs) yeah now they're the sinister five that doesn't roll off the tongue quite as good the ferocious then they go with like the ferocious five or something well i haven't finished episode three fearsome five that's what it was but uh There's like so far there's been I don't know if it's there's one in episode three, but there's been a real life celebrity guest. The first episode had John Hodgman as a celebrity call in. Yep, second episode. Himself. The second episode had Leah Thompson playing herself. Playing well, playing a fictional version of herself that exists in the MCU or in the Marvel universe, at least, because she talks about having starred in the first Howard the Duck biopic. And in, in our world, it's not a biopic. <laughs> it's only a biopic in fictional comic book world. Yeah, they're pulling some fun celebrities. But some of the most fun stuff is the villains that call in. Magneto calling in. <laughs> well, it was Eric. Yes, but, but we know it's like Magneto. saying like, hello, I know it's you, Charles. <laughs> they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. Ah, whatever, Charles, I know you're listening. Talking directly to Charles Xavier. And then he's like, send Wolverine over to Logan over to trim my hedges. <laughs> don't send Cyclops. don't send Cyclops. The last time he left scorch marks everywhere. I don't care for him. <laughs> like, And in the just, new episode, he calls again because he's trying to make some, I think, some brownies. But he's ran out of flowers and he's like, Charles, bring some flour over. And they're like, we told you, Charles isn't here. Oh, I know he's listening. Besides, Jean can hear it right now. Like somehow through her Phoenix Force, she can hear it through the radio. So have her float over some flour to me. Yeah, he's just like, I tell him and tell him that I just, even though I couldn't watch Netflix with him and watch that show before, I just got more gigs. I demanded more gigs. And so the stream will be perfect at my house. Tell Charles that. It's it's very funny. I think the craziest thing is that the guy who is the voice of uh, Brain Drain Mm -hmm. is a guy named Peter Herman. And I feel like this can't be right because it's what IMDb is clearly being updated poorly by like regular people. It's not like the producers of the show are uploading this information onto IMDb. I think there's more than one Peter Herman 
Because the Peter Herman that this links to? I mean, maybe. He is German. But he's married to Mariska Hardigay. Do you know who Mariska Hardigay is? Nope. <laughs> she is one of the two leads of Law & Order SVU and has been for like however long that show's been on the air. Wasn't she also in like uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding or something Probably. Like that? For her to be on this long-running TV show that spans decades and is consistently like watched by millions of people and then he's like got a part-time job as... <laughs> voice actor on a podcast (laughs) doing it for disney man do it for disney that opens up a lot of avenues that's kind of the thing right you have something hit with disney they want to use you all over the place i guess he was on law and order for two two years as well no it's got him listed here he's in a bunch of shit i guess they just cast him for this it's just a weird thing for him to be a part of Oh, he was on Elementary. I've been binging Elementary recently. Um, So I did look it up, and it's six episodes is what they're doing okay. for the show. I want to say it was John Delancey was, I think, playing the Vulture. That sounds right. So like Q from Star Trek The Next Generation. Not the QAnon shaman. <laughs> like the guy <laughs> who goes like... Q, but Q? Yeah, Q who goes and like, Blinks I don't know, makes him into the French Revolution or whatever. <laughs> that Q, the one who's in Picard right now. Yeah, I think you're right, because I think I remember Ryan North tweeting something about being excited about that. That makes sense, because all nerds would be excited about that if you're like, at least if you're a Star Trek nerd. So, uh, Yep, John Delancey. Yep, yep. That's exactly right. Where is Squirrel Girl available? Like how? Oh, any platform. It's a podcast. Yeah, you just okay. look it's up. It's free. It's the uh, uh, Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show. It is being made by Sirius XM. Right. But it's so but it's, it's available everywhere. But yeah. it's like it's if you even just start putting in Squirrel Girl, it'll come up. They've somehow rigged that to where you don't have to be exact because they're Disney. They have all the money in the world. Uh let's see what else we got here. Uh did you guys Oh, you wanted to talk about Ryan yeah, North's speaking book. Speaking of right? Ryan North, uh he also has a book that he just recently put out. It's uh his second book. Like he mostly does comic books and occasionally does a podcast. And he also wrote dialogue for a video game. That, and uh, dinosaur comics. Right? And he does his web comic three times a week. But he started writing these books that are not, they're not novels. They're not fiction. They're not nonfiction. They're like very, they're like infotainment is the best thing I would describe it as because they're educational books, but they're, framed in such a way that it's so entertaining and you know you're learning it's just exciting because it's fucking great the first one was called how to invent everything a time traveler's handbook the premise of it is that it's the repair manual for a time travel device that ryan north dug up and he didn't write this book he just found it this manuscript buried and basically the handbook is about how Okay, so you're in this time travel machine. You've traveled to the distant past, but there was a problem and the time machine broke. Now you're stranded in the distant past. We can't fix the machine. So you're going to have to recreate all of modern society from scratch. Here's how to do it. That's the book. You know, it's just like you're learning things like crop rotation and like how to build magnets. But it's so interesting. Music theory His the book covers. It's like an encyclopedia. It just covers all this random information. His follow-up is the one that just came out, and it's called How to Take Over the World, a supervillain's blobbity handbook guide for schemes. And it's basically like a How to Take Over the World book, but what he's really doing is exploring fringe science, basically. Like, what is the scientific stuff that's, like, on the verge of, of science fiction? You know, how far have we gone? And... Then he just like couches that all in comic book terms, basically. He uses like picking your supervillain base as a way to talk about superstructures and advantages and disadvantages of building a base underwater or in space or on the moon. Uh, he talks about what it would take to dig a hole to the center of the earth and hold the earth's core hostage. Uh, spoiler alert, you would need a hole basically the size of Brazil 
Yeah, it's bad like idea. wide. So finding a country that would let you turn it into a big pit is probably a big obstacle. Yeah, if you uh, thought the Superfund site at Butte was an yeah. eyesore, like imagine if all of Brazil was there. We. Uh, By the way, that really quick. I'm on Real War Project last week. Uh, check that out. We talked about the Superfund site and Butte at one point. The so Berkeley it pit. Me. Yeah. Anyway, um, there's a chapter on cloning dinosaurs, because if you're going to be a supervillain, you should want to that should be on your agenda. Riding, riding a dinosaur and the take closest a, you can get to dragons in this world. Uh, he talks about time travel. That's the best chapter I've ever read, because he says so far, I haven't figured out time travel. But if I ever do, I'll just travel back in time to before this manuscript was printed and I'll add the chapter on time travel in. So just keep checking back periodically on this chapter. (laughs) 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 Which is just so good. How Right now the chapter I'm currently on is about uh, immortality, making yourself immortal. It's pretty interesting because like we talk about life expectancy and how when thousands of years ago the life expectancy was 35, now the life expectancy is 88, right? Well, the way you actually get that number is you add up the ages of people that died and then you just divide by how many people died, right? So dying in childbirth really throws off the curve. If you have a set of people and one person is 90 and then two babies and that's your set of dead people, the average lifespan is 30, right? But that's not actually accurate. That's just an average, right? The fact that the life expectancy is is higher now doesn't actually mean like it's not a thing that it can extend infinitely because it's not we haven't expanded it that much in human history. It hasn't gone from like 35 to 80. It's actually gone from about 65 to 88. And we've just gotten way better at getting out of infancy. Yeah. Making (laughs) it out of not dying in childbirth. Yeah. And not dying as a baby. Like, we've gotten way better at keeping babies alive. And that has artificially raised the virtual life expectancy age. Books reframe the way you look at stuff. He is a master writer. The guy is so good. And he's clever. And he's, like, engaging. And he's just decent friendly. He 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 tells you stuff as you're reading it where he's just like, you're the one. Like, I wrote this book for you. You know, like he's very affirming. There's a lot of affirming stuff in his book. He likes to build people up and he builds you up as you're reading it (laughs) and himself. (laughs) Like at one point, there's lots of footnotes and the footnotes are also really fun. Like I found out uh, smallpox, right? We thought we had eradicated it. And then in like 1980 something, a lady, a librarian found a copy of a medical book from 1888 And she opened it up and an envelope fell into her lap that was filled with smallpox scabs. (laughs) Fuck. Damn. (laughs) That the the last person that had the book was like saving samples of smallpox scabs. It's like the book hadn't been touched since 1888. Who knew that was going to be in there? Using that as a fucking what bookmark. What a shitty lottery that is. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's one of the footnotes. And then at one point he references a previous book in a footnote. And he's like, I'm not sure if this is tacky or not. And then the next footnote is like, this is also in my last book. I decided it wasn't tacky. <laughs> <laughs> to reference my own stuff. Anyways, oh, check oh. it out. Ryan North, he's the best. Okay, we've been promising for a while that we would do a spoiler-filled review of The Batman. So, Brandon, you've now had the 75 Batman. days to like check it out. Have you watched this yet? I told you I watched it last week. Oh, you did? Okay. All right, what were you guys' Carl thoughts? Was the, Carl was the last hell. I was the last one. and To be honest, still not sure I've seen it. <laughs> I watched it. I saw a yeah, lot of shadows. I'm kind of with you on this. Somebody, the person it's I was interesting. It's it almost as if you step out of the movie theater and like it's not as much fun anymore. The person I watched it with went, "I'm really interested to learn if Robat Batenbat is a good Batman." And as I was watching it, I was like, "Well, does it even matter if he's a good Batman? Because this is like a stunt guy." that's a silhouette <laughs> like we're watching a silhouette punch stuff right now <laughs> that was the early on in the movie and then at one point my friend said what's that on his face why does he look so emo he and i was like eye makeup. because yeah, eye black 
Yeah. Because this is the <clears throat> first time they haven't just had the eye makeup magically disappear off his yep. face. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it, dude. This is the first they time decided, they've ever like, we're gonna own considered it. that. Which I just we I want the scene. And I'm not alone in this. Paul F. Tompkins also wants this. I want the scene where he's putting the makeup on. I want to see him. I want him to get some of it, like, in his eye. <laughs> oh, dude, like, he's, def- ah, oh, oh he's my definitely eye. playing oh, Nirvana okay, while he's okay. doing that. <laughs> well, it's a practical thing. It's At not least like he's, he's not playing, like, Goodbye Horses while he's playing. <laughs> or, it, or that Crow song. What's that one? It Can't Rain Which All one? the Time. Okay. The one that's, like, the movie song. The one that was written for the right. Movie. It's just you said the like I am. I had the soundtrack. I immediately thought of like ten Dead songs. Souls. Yeah, That's usually the first. The, uh, it's I, tra- honestly as much as I love Dead Souls. The first one I go to is the uh, the Rage Against the Machine one. Like that's the first really? one I think of. Yeah, wrong. I don't know what, dude. I watched the movie like <laughs> twice, maybe. Like I didn't particularly. <sighs> okay, okay, yeah. I didn't particularly no, care about it. it all that much. Like I thought it was all right, but like I love the soundtrack because that... it was an introduction to all of that music for me. That movie was the reason why. I... I know you were super into it. Oh my god! I wore a trench coat. I painted my nails. That was about as goth as I got, and it was all that movie's fault, dude. Yeah. Yep. I never really painted my face, but I had long, straight black hair and a trench coat, and I brooded a lot. We were in, in freshman year of high school, right, when that came out, I think? Yeah. Like, we saw that. that effect immediately, dude. There was this, like, it wasn't everybody, <laughs> but there was a subsection of kids that all of a sudden, like, as soon as Embraced that movie came out, instantly. dude, all of them, like, this dying This is what their, I've been looking for my whole their life. hair black, letting it go stringy like wearing the the white makeup all the time like the the dark shit around the eyes like yeah. all of that the nails like you were saying so i mean honestly so, the one of the first songs you should think of from that movie is the opening song which is burned by the cure it's a cure song is that the everybody or every night uh burn. yeah, yeah I, night I think I of that one too but I, I think about it as the soundtrack more than i think about it as a movie because i only watch movie i mean a like the thing times. that the lyrics it, it almost feels written for the movie because he says stuff like paint your face with shadow smile you know which is like paint your face he paints his fucking right. crow face yeah by the I'm way i think that's actually getting rebooted for real. I, yeah. We talked about this yeah, already. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, it is actually happening. Yeah. That's amazing. Skarsgård, right? Is it a... I don't remember. I forget. But yeah. It was, was going to happen. Like, it's IP. I it's, it's known IP. All yeah. known IP will be rebooted in the next 20 years. So I'm reading a book right now. It's actually... Uh, it's called Pretty Hate Machine. It's actually got this... Uh, and it's a... Uh, there's a actually a line of books I ran into at the uh, Montana Book Company. And they're all, like... A short book. I mean, they're like fifty pages, but and they're only like three by three size books. So I mean, I got pretty far into it, and like it was humble brag. <laughs> I, I I'm just fucking with you. I'm sorry. Reading dude. a book, like come on. <laughs> the first couple chapters were talking about that subset of people like from the night like mid 90s before columbine and how columbine changed yep Uh, dude absolutely like all of those kids were suddenly like the kids that people were side-eyeing down the street it's interesting because we were right out of high school when columbine happened so like i didn't get to see the effect in the high school but like i saw it out of it and it sucked because like all the kids i hung out with not all of them but a lot of them wore trench coats like there were most of those kids you know yeah like we listen to the same music i just didn't dress like it's funny because it was well i mean it's not funny but it was basically talking about like a lot of those people called themselves the trench coat mafia and then columbine happens and then trench coat mafia is it's a code, slur yeah, yeah it's basically referring to yeah those two to people i don't want to say their yeah. names but yeah so <laughs> it's kind of interesting like how nine inch nails like really fed into the part of that how culture. far how far into that chuck klosterman book did you get carl did you get into anything with columbine not yet. Okay. I was curious if he covered it, but that, I guess that would be most likely towards the end of the book. Yeah. Since I was I like 98. Currently, what am I? I think the section I'm reading is talking a lot about the Gulf War. Were you in high school when Columbine happened? Yeah. So I was a sophomore in high school, I believe. I had just 
gone to Butte the Sunday before it happened and went to an army surplus store and found my first trench coat and bought it. (laughs) And I wore it to school for the first time ever. And about halfway through the day, I got called into the principal's (laughs) office and they were like, this just happened in (laughs) Columbine. That's a real bad time to like for your first time wearing the trench coat. (laughs) Day one. And then, of course, I I had to make this decision of like, do I keep wearing this thing? I know the answer to this because when I met you, you had a distinct look. (laughs) I wound up saying like, just being like, that motherfucker, those guys, they don't get to like... Ruin my fashion, damn it. Tarnish this. Yeah. And uh, so I kept wearing it. Oh, Dude, I, I got honest, I called into the principal for a while. I got called into yeah. the principal's office a lot. I had a green tr- like an army green trench coat for a while too. Like the thing was they were basically calling our generation out for like literally everything that set us apart from the boomers. They were fucking calling us out for as if like that was the thing for Columbine, right? Yeah. It was like the music we were listening to, the way that we dressed the video games we played, like literally everything they were attacking and saying like, this is what led to Columbine. So like everything that made us distinct from the previous generation. It, I mean, you, I know you're technically, no, you know what had Carl, happened was by the time, off. by the time my generation hit like job, having money spending of our own age, all of the counterculture things had been co-opted by the mainstream. And so like, the things that we wound up using to rebel with were like just like pointless insane clown posse it doesn't really have any redeeming quality the only thing it really exists for is to turn people off and so you can just like turn everybody off something to piss off your parents it's something like, to piss every that, the world yeah. off i mean i didn't listen and to like icp force, but and then, i listened to marilyn manson when i was younger and then and you that can was kind of force of yourself yep. then you can kind of force yourself into well even though this is entirely my based on decisions i've made the world has exiled me so i'm an outsider i know i actually read read an article and this was clear back late 90s that and it was Marilyn Manson was talking with, I think it was Rolling Stone. And he says, music should piss your parents off. Like was his full quote. <laughs> and I don't necessarily agree with that, but I am a parent. But I think there's like a certain type of music that every generation gravitates to. And they don't know it at the time, but it is because it pisses their parents off. And I think you really don't know that until maybe 15 years later when you're like, wow, I haven't really listened to that for a long time and I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's some bands that you discover. I mean, there's just different bands for different times in your life, I think, too. Like, And that's like when you're a teenager... And then you kind of, most people tend to shed it by some point in their 20s, I feel like. There's music that gets made, and also music that's made by young people almost can't be for old people if it's about being young. Do you know what I mean? That Olivia Rodrigo song. About the driver's license. Isn't that Olivia Rodrigo? I think you it is. You are asking uh, the, the wrong no person. Idea. Like, this shit plays around have... me and I don't listen to Dude, it. I'm still more in touch with the music of your kids. Yes. Of our generation. Because I, mostly because that's what SNL does. SNL keeps me on the cutting edge of what's like really popular. Not necessarily what's like newest, but like I know who Bad Bunny is. What happens is. I mean, you guys know Billie that... Eilish, but. The kids, I know Dua Lipa. <laughs> right. The kids like play Anyways. play their music when I drive them around and stuff, and I hear it, but I'm not really listening to it anymore. Yeah, like you're after not listening to it, you're, like you're and here, I don't know when it happened, but it was before I became a dad because I have perpetually worked with teenagers. Like whatever job I have, there's always at least some portion of it where I work with a teenager and so I'm constantly hearing their music and I want to say it was like my late 20s at some point I just didn't care what the new thing was anymore I just stopped listening and every now and again I hear something and I'm like wow like there'll be something that like breaks through and really like I'm just like wow that's really good but not very often and it's just like I'm just hearing trends 
It's not even like I can't identify any of the artists. It all just sounds like a trend. And I do realize now that I'm older and having had the experience with music that I've had that like it's not even like a getting older thing. It's just like I reduce my own music down to genre, too. Like I listen to a lot of the bands that I like and I'm like immediately like file them into like some kind of genre subsection in my head and i think about all the bands within that genre it's just how i think about shit now it's weird it's really weird like olivia rodrigo and alanis morissette do not make the same kind of music right but they're both writing songs for at a specific time like jagged little pill and olivia rodrigo they're writing albums at a specific time in their lives about what it's like to be you at that time when you're that age or close to that age or you're still in that sort of maturity level those things have significance yeah and you relate to them and you identify with them and then as you get older you kind of you grow out of it and you may still have a nostalgic feeling that you get when you listen to what you listened to when you were that age so like we would have for like older stuff we but it won't trigger with the music that's for that age that came out now because we don't have that nostalgic connection to it. Right. But it's for the same, it's designed for the same purpose. I would hope that like, as they get older, they like look back at Billie Eilish say, and they go, that was really good music for me to listen to when I was that age. You know, like I actually hear Billie Eilish and I like her. I mean, like, honestly, and she's one of the ones that is broken out. There's varying. uh, Right. That's what I was talking about. It's like, she's one of the rare ones. When she came out, she was in the same genre that I was hearing all the time in the car, but like, it was so different. And like, it's weird because now she's like part of the establishment. And I think it's one part other people coming in and like producing. So her That's stuff is starting really to change. But I think her the music other is her and her brother. Yes. They are like but I think creepy the, tight. I think the other part of it is that like everybody is <laughs> copying her creepy, now. Actually. Like everybody's copying her. And so mm. it's all starting to become the same again. But that's what happens with really big breakouts is like people start to emulate it. And that's not the like, it's not bad. It's just how music works. Like music starts to get into a stasis and then somebody figures out something and then everybody's like, what the fuck is that? Well, the other thing to keep in mind too, is that like old methods of keeping up with the times don't work anymore. Yeah. Like listening to the radio to figure out what like Mm -mm. the kids are listening to is complete. That's the stuff that they're listening to is the same stuff that my kids listen to on YouTube. It's the same stuff. I'm telling you. Like she listens to in in our town, mix one oh two point three. That is what she's interested in listening to. It's it's that. Yeah, and it's the same on satellite because I mean I know my kids were listening to whatever the top like like they the, actually the top, have music yeah. right now that is for their ages. They just skipped us all together. My problem with those <laughs> in, in our town, they skipped no, us all together. My problem with those yep. stations is that that is not like a reflection of what the kids are listening to. That is the, it can be, no, I'm saying it's the other way around. It's that's the conveyor belt that is like putting shit into people's laps of people that aren't interested in looking for music on their own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's like, you are not interested in pursuing content in whatever form it is. You're not interested in like finding those good movies, finding those TV shows, finding those bands, finding those authors. You're just like, what do you got for me? Yeah. I don't have time to find anything good. Just give me whatever. I'm not going to front on this or anything. I mean, this has been a conversation we've been having for years, but I don't find new music anymore. Occasionally you play something where I'm like, oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. And like, I I run with it. But the truth is all of that energy that I put into that is now like finding podcasts and it's way more focused on movies. Like I have the same energy. It's just focused in different directions than it was. When I was young, it was all about music. I loved movies too. And I loved, well, podcasts didn't exist, but there were certain things on radio I love, like talk radio. But like those priorities have shifted as I've gotten older. I think Sirius Radio did that for me, honestly. Like when I moved out to Olympia and all of a sudden I had all these crazy channels on the satellite radio. I'd never heard anything like it on regular radio. Like that started to scratch the itch that would be, you know, like my podcast obsession, honestly. And like movies just kept getting more and more important to me as I've gotten older. 
and more interested in like all the stuff that built up the things that I watch and then the, just watching a wider base of things. I have the same energy. It's just like music doesn't move me like it used to. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just oh, like, oh no, there's a lot I wrong get... with that. You're fired. <laughs> you have more time than me, sir. That's very true. <laughs> canceled and I, oh my god i only get so much time in do the day, i so. have a treat in store for you motherfuckers next week it ties in with <laughs> the our multiverse of madness wow that's amazing. inevitable dr strange review but we will peer into the multiverse ourselves and that's all i'm going to say about that everywhere everything everywhere all at once no. i'm not playing anything copyrighted <laughs> <laughs> what if i got permission wouldn't that be Cool. Did you actually get permission? Oh no! You actually, have to get it you know from what? The I'm more. I am more than happy. <laughs> I am more than happy because I know do, what you're talking about, which I love. I'm more than happy to do my own acapella uh, interpretation. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're <laughs> in for that treat. We're okay. That. Are right. we done? Let's yeah. fucking be Take done. It. <laughs> Take it easy. Please rate and review our show. Sign up for an Anchor account. You can leave voice messages through a link in the description of the podcast, or you can answer our poll questions. Reach out to us through Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs or Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs. Email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safer Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Aaron Donaldson and Alex Small. Zach and Matt discuss some of the best and worst horror movies out there. Check out all four seasons of Watch No Evil. Lauren and Sarah riff on changing topics each week. Whether it's celebrity horoscopes, the poop cruise, or smell-o-vision, you'll laugh along with Dippers. Catch up on pop culture news and reviews every week with Brandon Biggs and Carl on Not Safe for Network. Professor Aaron Donaldson and Purple Heart recipient Charles Horgan break down war movies, their narratives, and the rhetoric behind them on Real War Project. 